Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's very special guest is Matthew Quick. Matthew is the New York Times best-selling author of The Silver Linings Playbook, which was made into an Oscar-winning film, and eight other novels. His work has been translated into more than 30 languages, received a Penn Hemingway Award honorable mention, was an LA Times Book Prize finalist, a New York Times book review editor's choice, and many, many more awards and accolades. I had to trim that paragraph down because we'd be talking for a long time. Matthew lives with his wife, the novelist Alicia Bassett, on North Carolina's Outer Banks. So two Carolinians on the call today. Matthew's upcoming novel, We Are the Light, will be released in the U.S. on November 1st, 2022. Matthew, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm so excited to interview you. I, as I was preparing for this podcast, I, I um I sometimes have this where there's so many topics I want to cover that it's like a it's a real prioritization to be like, okay, what are we going to cover? Because I know how these things go; it goes fast. Um, so I want to dive right into it because I have such a full slate with you. Um, and one of the topics I want to talk about is writing, writing about hard things, <laughs> mm-hmm. writing about hard things. Um, I think. Oftentimes, writers and creators are told to lean into those big feelings, those big events, those kind of big, I don't want to say traumas, but in some ways traumas, to lean into the experience of their life. I think that's where like this whole idea of like, write what you know comes from. Um, you've done this really successfully. You've done this in a lot of work. Um, I got an advanced copy of We Are the Light. You, you, It's a beautiful, stunning book. I mean, like, thank you. Beautiful book. And so you're writing about really tough topics, mental health and, and death and trauma. How do you approach that? How do you do that so, so, so that you write about in a way that's um, satisfying and fulfilling to you as the writer, but then also isn't um, tone deaf, I think is probably the best way to say it. And you do it so well. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, you know, it's difficult. I'm, I'm a feeling type. And so, you know, the quick answer is I've got to feel my way into it. And my process usually involves coming up with an idea and then spending months and months and months writing false starts. And the Mm -hmm. false starts, they just don't feel right to me. And I can get 10 pages, sometimes 15, 20 pages, but they just don't go anywhere. And while I'm doing that, it it's very frustrating and I don't understand it because I'm like, why, why can't I just do this thing that I've done before? But I think there are two things going on simultaneously. First of all, I think at the beginning of a process, I'm tempted to let my thinking function take over. So I start thinking about, well, what have I written before and what's going to sell in LA and what does my agent want and what's going to hit the zeitgeist at the right time. And that is always a recipe for, false start. Um, so I'm always trying to, and the second part is I'm trying to get to know the character because I write in first person. 
So I have to write a lot to try to figure out who this person is before I can feel and think like that person. But then at some point, it'll just start to click in and I'll see what this character loves, what this character wants, and what is this character's wound. And then if I follow that and I can feel my way into it, to the truth of what the wound is, what they love and what they want, then something happens and it just starts to flow um, and it goes from there. But it takes quite a bit of time to get to that point. Um, I don't set out to, it's not like I sit down and think, oh, well, what type of trauma can I write about? <laughs> or, you know, what's, what's going to be the thing that's going to make everybody yeah. cry? It, it's more that I have a character and what does this character care about enough to justify 300 pages? Mm. Do you, uh... And 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 I do I do want to repeat that because I think it's so. Oftentimes we make writing really complex, but sometimes people say things that make it simple, and it makes a lot of sense. And what you said really simplified it made sense to me, which is want, love, and wound, like being like really core pillars of the character, kind of journey of creating the the character. Um, as you're as you're coming up and and writing your way into a character and um like silver linings playbook um you know deals a lot with mental health very touchy very sensitive topic um you know we are the light there there's a lot of really big topics in there as well um that yeah. that you touch on and deal with like it's it's a book that is very brave and approaching hard things are you ever worried about like I'm writing something that that is outside of my immediate experience and I have to get this right. Like I have to write this the right way or else, you know, I'm going to come off as disingenuous. Does that come through your head in the creation process? Yes. Um, You know, I, I, I tend to lean into things that I know. And so, you know, for Silver Linings Playbook, um, the movie is about bipolar disorder, but the Mm -hmm. book, um, most people who haven't read the book don't know this, it's about brain trauma. And so I worked in a a brain trauma lockdown unit for a year right out of college. So that was something that I knew well. Mm -hmm. Um, I coupled that with this, it was at the time when I wrote that book that I was feeling really depressed, really disengaged from friends and family. And I was going through a little bit of a breakdown myself. Um, And so I married those two things of, you know, my own mental health problems with what I saw in the lockdown unit. And that's how I kind of came together with, with uh, Silver Linings. With We Are the Light, um, you know, it's, it's about a trauma that happens to this small town in Pennsylvania, which I don't have. Um, thank God I haven't had that happen to me. Right. Right. But it's also about this guy who whose life falls apart. And he's very dependent on his Jungian analyst. And on page one, his Jungian analyst abandons him. And at the time, I had been in Jungian analysis for a year. And that was my biggest fear. I felt very like reliant on my analyst. And my biggest fear was that one day he would just you know, not show up to analysis that week or something happened to him. And so I took that fear and I I turned it into fiction, you know, what would happen. And so that was something that I knew intimately. And I don't think I could have written We Are the Light if I hadn't done three hours a week of analysis for a year at the time. And now now it's two years I've done. And so that was, it was a very 
um, intimate process. And, you know, I wasn't doing analysis to prepare myself for writing. We are the light. It just came organically out of that mm-hmm. experience. So, you know, Lucas Goodgame has his own situation in the book, but it's very much informed by a lot of the personal research that, that I was doing. He's not me, you know, it's not supposed to be an alter ego, but a lot of what he's going through in the book is very near and dear to my heart. Also, he has these very strong masculine friendships, these men that, that he, he loves or his friends, and they get him through this really tragic time. And after I got sober about four years ago, there were a lot of men that showed up in my life and I became very reliant on my male friendships, um, especially at the beginning of my sobriety that were really important to me. So the book is not about, um, you know, Lucas isn't getting sober, but he's going through and dealing with past trauma and using Jungian philosophy and, and Jungian analysis and male friendship to get through this awful situation, which is very much like what I was doing in my life as well. Mm. Oh, you've opened up some topics for us there. My goodness. Young was, was one of the, one of the big things on my list. Let, let's talk about the influence of young on your life and, and mm-hmm. more broadly, the influence of young on the construct of story. Um, like as you see it from your perspective and, and for those, I mean, may, maybe be good just give like a really high level overview of like Jungian philosophy and in general and how it pertains to, to creative writers. But then I would love to talk about like how this analysis that you've done, how it's influenced or, you know, positively or negatively impacted your creative journey as well. Well, I'll start by saying that I went into analysis because I was creatively blocked um, and after I got sober, um, my, my great reward for getting sober was, was crippling writer's block for years. Uh-huh. And it was, it was really, really an awful experience. And it was emasculating. I felt embarrassed about it. Um, and ego wanted to bull its way through and just say, no, if we just sit down every day, you know, at the computer at some point. But it became clear to me that I had been using alcohol for decades to dull things inside of me, um, pains that I I hadn't dealt with. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, the creative process takes um, a bit of heroism. You know, you you had to be heroic. And I think the fear uh, that I had, you know, was always, I could always get rid of that with three or four scotches. It was gone, Mm -hmm. you know, so I write all day, drink the scotch, you know, I'm on book tour, I've got my clonopin, I've got my scotch, you know, I can mm-hmm. deal with that. But then once that was taken away, I had to feel all of that. And it was mm-hmm. very, very overwhelming because I had about 25 years of pretty hard alcohol use. I was definitely a functional alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody ever commented, but that was my coping device. So when that was taken away from me, I think that I think that psyche shut down my ability to write because it recognized it that I wasn't going to make it through another publication sober without the tools to do that. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, I, I really believe that that's true. And my analyst believe that, believes that that's true as well. And so a high overview of what you do in Jungian analysis, it's a deep dive into um, getting to know yourself, getting to know all of the things that 
you have cast off into shadow and broken away. And so you spend time analyzing dreams, you spend time talking about your life. And the goal of Jungian analysis is individuation, which means becoming the person that you were always meant to be before you know your parents interfered or your church or your mm-hmm. school or society. So it's getting back to that, that core bit of you that always was when you were born and, and getting reacquainted with that. But that also means getting reacquainted with all of the things that you've spent, in my case, 47 years pretending weren't part of your personality. Mm-hmm. So one of the things for me is I, I, I was always a really great fake extrovert, but I am deeply introverted <laughs> and I needed alcohol to be an extrovert. And so when I gave up alcohol, I really couldn't function you know, at a party anymore. And so I had to figure out and go inside and figure out why that was um, and try to get to know um, the good parts, the bad parts of me and, and really kind of face that truth. You know, in the past I thought, well, I can extrovert my way through anything as long as I have alcohol, but take the alcohol away. Why can't I extrovert? What's going on internally? Um, getting to know those parts with my writing. I think, um, you know, Jungian analysis is a character study. And you're the character, you know, you're trying to figure out who you are. And I'm a pretty introspective person. Um, I thought that I knew myself really well, but very early on, my analyst began blowing my mind with all types of patterns that he saw and, and, you know, just things that was saying like that he picked up on. And I realized right away that I, I didn't know myself as well as I thought I knew myself. And then we went back and looked at my old novels and we psychoanalyzed them. And, you know, I, I realized that a lot of what I was doing as a novelist was very unconscious. And I was communicating these messages to the world that I, I didn't even really understand why or what I was doing symbolically. And so with We Are the Light, I think it was a more conscious effort to communicate something um, more constructively. Um, I think I was more aware of what I was doing with this novel. Uh, I was more sober in every sense Mm -hmm. of the word. And I'd like to think that that elevated this novel as well. Not that I'm not proud of the work that I've done before, but this is a, 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 it was a very different process this time around. Yeah. It's a conscious process. Yeah. yeah. Um, sa- Saturdays, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like trying to hold myself together on this one, but um, Saturday I'll be six months sober. So I'm, I'm right in the wow, middle of this. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. I've talked to a little bit on the podcast about it and have kind of um, tried to communicate. I, I don't want to say share the journey, but, but certainly just be like, okay, like we can be people and all have things, have that shadow that we need to, um face in a way so hearing your story i just i just i feel i deeply feel so many parallels um and one of the things i've I've recognized as i'm coming into like six months i've kind of gotten over like a really intense three four months it was just awful you know um Mm -hmm. and coming into like six months of being like the range of emotions that i now feel as a result of being sober is a, is terrifying in a way yes. like the depth yes. of feeling um is terrifying and 
did as you started to write again and you were kind of creatively unblocked, did you find that um, your previous work felt really flat, like lifeless in a way? I don't think my previous published work felt flat to me. Sure. Um, I think that I started to lack in some ways the bravery necessary and the audacity necessary to um, work at that level of vulnerability. Mm. I also found too, when I got sober, the world started to feel scary to me. And mm. I felt like the world, um, and I think that this was a little bit of a defense in my part, it felt reflexively hostile to me. And it took years of sobriety for me to to realize that that was somewhat of my own making and that I was kind of projecting boogeyman into the world. Um, and it's only just kind of recently by getting some wins under my belt, you know, by completing We Are The Light, you know, finding a new editor, um, you know, and I've, I've, I've come out and started, you know, basically being off the map for five years as I was working on getting sober. And, and seeing that I don't have to be drunk, I don't have to inflate, that, yeah. that the work that I've done in getting to know who I am is allowing me to present myself or my true self publicly, maybe for the first time. And every time people accept that version of me, that more true, that more honest, that more sober version of me, uh, those wins start to uh, accumulate and I start to trust my my true self a little bit more as I go along and and again I'm about four four months and a couple uh, four years and a couple months into this and I feel like I'm just starting to trust myself uh, in a sort of you know the sort of way and you know I, I talk to people that have been doing analysis too and you know I remember when I did one year of analysis I was I was so proud and my analyst says, you know, for some people, this takes like 25 years. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, wow. Like, you know, but while that can be really daunting, um, I've learned to really appreciate lately the value of, of good work to do. Like having work that feels meaningful and purposeful. And I think for a while at the end of my drinking days, especially when I was, you know, writing screenplays for Hollywood and there was a lot of you know, ego stuff going on, you know, it was, it was great to, you know, have people drive you around LA and New York city. It's great to go to a premiere. It's great to hang out with famous people, but then you get addicted to that and you yeah. think, well, what do I have to do to make this keep going? What do I have to do to make the money come in? And the work that I've been doing and we are the light in particular is, is not about that at all. It's about how do I get away from the ego level and back down to the soul level mm. and to allow who I am to come through me in a way that I'm not worried about whether someone in Hollywood is going to buy the movie rights. I'm just re really worried about putting my true authentic self in the world and dealing with and feeling whatever comes back. And when people don't like that, having the strength to say, okay, it's not for them. That's fine. This isn't for mm. everybody. And when people actually do like that version of me to embrace them wildly and to, to feel an intimacy with people that, that feels dangerous and alive and um, awake and not dull and drunk. 
um, mm-hmm. but but sober in a beautiful way. Yeah. And there have been times recently when I've been connecting with people on an intimate level that that feels so much more of a high than mm. any any scotch you know that I've ever had or you know any type of drug or whatever. And I think because it's authentic, you know, and I really feel this time around, you know, with my other books, I was always like so affected by the reviews and so affected by what people thought. And I feel a lot more grounded this time around because I feel as though I'm standing in the truth of who I am. And um, I'm being proud of that, you know, not in a way that's inflated, but just in a way that like I can accept myself as who I am Mm -hmm. and flaws and all. And I can put that into the world and I can put that into my art and I can withstand um, if if someone, you know, wants to assault that or, you know, write a bad (laughs) review or, you know, so that is very, very new for me. And that is a very new part of my sobriety and and my journey as a human being. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a, um, just a beautiful couple of minutes of listening to you. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a hard, you know, it's certainly a hard journey. Um, yes. and I think, I think, um, oftentimes creative pursuits like writing feels very intense. And, you know, even if you're not trying to write about the big emotional centers, of your life, oftentimes the writing finds its way there. It, it's almost like it's calling, you know, it wants to come out, you know, it's the stuck energy that wants to be exercised. And so, uh, at least for me, I found, you know, a uh, big whiskey fan as well, uh, found, you know, alcohol was, was the only balm to not let it explode out. Um, and so, and so not having it and feeling this array, um, has been, has been, it, it's just, it's just crazy the the depth and intensity of days and, and some emotions and that's impact, at least for me, it's really impacted my working, like how I actually create like the actual process of putting words on the page. And so for you, it sounds like there was, there's a block as well. Like there was some sort of barrier that came up. Uh, what what was it that allowed you to essentially get back to creation? Because I think a lot of people out there are going to say like, I have an, um, like an emotional or psychic or some sort of block on me and I cannot create until I get this thing exercised out. And I think any, any like, I don't say direction, but, but certainly inspiration or thoughts about how people can take those first steps. It's just such an um, important topic for writers to like be like, how do you get through? Um, I don't want to say writer's block because that's not it. It's not like, I don't know what to write. It's like my soul is blocked. It's like soul block. <laughs> like, yes. so so what, what did that process look like for you? Well, there's, again, I'll, I'll bring up, I did a lot of work with my analyst mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just identifying what it really was that that had me upset and what was um, going on in my psyche, because I didn't know. And one of the things you do um, in Jungian analysis in particular, it's shadow work. And so mm-hmm. a lot of what's going on inside of you, we project out into the world. And so 
you know, it's not that I have a problem. It's those people over there or that side of the political, the political field, or, you know, it's, it's the people in New York who don't get my work or, you know, it's, it's the, the zeitgeist or, you know, and, and stopping and saying, it's not all of those things out there. It's inside of me. Hmm. It's the things inside of me that need fixing that. That was the first step is realizing that, the problem was inside of me. It wasn't out there in the world. It was me. And then the next step for me was learning how to be brave enough to be intimate with people again without alcohol. Mm -hmm. And what that really comes down to is how can I love people? And how do you love people? Well, you can't love other people if you don't love yourself. And so it was a lot of work on really trying to accept who I am, be honest about who I really am, loving who I am, loving other people, and then letting them love me back. And in the initial run of my sobriety, I found that there are a lot of people that I spent a lot of time with that I just could not spend time with when I was right. recently sober. Part of the reason for that was because there were people I drank heavily with, you know, mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. the first thing. So I, I don't want to be around the drinking anymore. So that, that wipes a lot of people out. And then another part too, is just that my personality changed, you know, when I was drinking, it was different. So yeah. I pushed a lot of people away. And I think I, in order to do that and fight for my sobriety, I had to kind of in some ways demonize people and then when I went back and did the work on myself and started to re-engage with those people and explain to them like, hey, I was going through a process. It wasn't you, it was me. Mm -hmm. And I still love you. And we still have this um, ability to have this relationship. That's when things started flowing for me again. Um, and that happened with a lot of my family members. It happened with friends. Not everyone, you know, some people faded away. But allowing myself to to have those experiences with other people, deepening my relationship with my wife. Um, we just got a puppy and I'm so in love with my puppy, <laughs> you know, and, and it sounds silly, but allowing myself to love this four month old puppy, like yeah. unabashedly and yeah. just feeling that love. Um, yeah. And then also falling in love with the work again, you know, and realizing that I didn't start writing fiction to get a paycheck or to make a movie. I started writing fiction because I was I was confused and scared and I didn't know what to do. And fiction made me feel better because it allowed me to organize my thoughts and figure out who I was. And when I do that alone in a vacuum, I feel like good stuff comes, you know, if I'm writing for the right reasons, you know. And and so as I went through analysis and started to figure out like, well, what do I care about? You know, what do I love? What's important to me? those things started to find their way into the novel. And I remember at one point, my analyst told me, he's like, you're going to have to start fighting. You're going to have to fight for the things that you believe in, the things that you love. And, you know, I think sometimes we kind of construe like fighting as, um, I don't know, like going out and fist fighting or arguing with people. But sometimes fighting can mean, you know, this relationship I had is damaged and I'm going to be the bigger person and love this person and try to fix this relationship. Um, it could mean going the extra step. It could mean like not putting your needs on other people while taking care of those needs because you love them. And so doing things like that um, really started to open up me 
and the soul work, you know, going from ego level to soul level. Uh, soul doesn't keep score. Soul wants to love. That's pretty much all it wants to do. And in the writing of We Are the Light, you know, you have this character of, of, of Lucas Gugnate game who is experiencing this horrific situation. His psyche is fractured in a million pieces. He's just so broken at the beginning of the novel. But what saves him is the love he has with his friend Isaiah, um, with the young boy Eli who comes and they, they make art and they, they, they take care of each other. And that's the thing that brings the town together. It's love that saves them in the end. And that seems, you know, that can be a, a, a cliche thing to say, and maybe people will roll their eyes at it, but I don't know anyone who doesn't want that. You know, yeah. people, our souls are built to love. And I think the drinking um, was the temporary fix around the fact that I didn't feel loved for a long time and I didn't have the ability to love others. And, you know, the drinking numbed that. But when I stopped drinking, I had to figure out how to do that again. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That, the, not the only thing, but one thing that comes to mind is you're saying, you know, the soul's purpose is to love is like, um, it, it, seem, it seems as if, especially as you explore fiction and the characters you connect with, explore other people, explore yourself. And um, I, I think maybe even like, I, I think at 25, I don't know if I could have, done the work at 30 i don't think i could do the work i mean it's only just really recently that i've been able to like be mature enough to to do the work but i think part of fiction is recognizing that like you know soul-sized hole that we all carry around yeah you know and for some you know it's 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 the balm is alcohol but like the thing that hole is looking for is love and and to explore that in fiction as well as in our own lives i mean like what <laughs> what greater way to spend our time here right the short period of time we get what what better way um to try and chase after that i don't know lot yeah, on brian's mind i can tell you that much <laughs> <laughs> i think particularly for men too in in yeah. in i'm pretty sure young believe this you know the, the, there's an old cliche of the midlife crisis but mm -hmm. you know the first task of life for most men is, is really ego you know you're trying mm -hmm. to build your career you're trying to form an identity and then you get to 40 45 and you realize that oh wait that doesn't fill that hole inside of myself and if you're lucky you you have an ego shattering which it sounds mm -hmm. like you're in the middle of and i definitely mm -hmm. was in the middle of and it humbles you enough to do the soul work because if ego is getting everything that it wants, like if you're, if you're killing it out there and, you know, ego is being gratified, why would you ever give that up to do the soul work? Right. And so, you know, Jung would say that, you know, these ego falls are an invitation, you know, to really go deeper. And in, and in some ways I, I don't wish the pain of what I went through in the last five years on anyone, but I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful right. for that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I truly could keep talking to you almost endlessly. I feel like there's a million topics I would love to, to um, dive into uh, with you. Um, that's <laughs> That said, our time <laughs> is up. I like can't, like I'm like blinking. I like can't even believe uh, we're at this part of the show where I have to like kind of wrap us up here. Um, I'm going to, 
on record, go and ask when in a couple months, we're recording this pretty early. So in a couple of months when the book is out, uh, I, I would love to do a round two. Just, just, I just got to keep going on a couple topics with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, Let's do it. Yeah. But uh, with that said, I, I like have to, Sometimes okay, so sometimes in the show, I've I've only said this a few times, but sometimes in the show I get kind of so sucked in that I lose kind of like the um the thread that I'm supposed to be hosting a podcast here because I'm just so like like mind, body, soul absorbed in the topics we've just been covering that I'm like, okay, Brian, you have to ask these questions now. But like my brain doesn't like catch up enough. Okay, with that said, here we are. Final questions. If I can make it through them. Um let me give my preamble. I always give this. I, I ask these same questions for uh, two reasons. First, first reason is my show, and I like I like the answers, and I think they're fun to ask everybody. So I ask them. Second reason is uh, over and over and over. I'll say this: that like the most important thing for a writer and a creator is to find your way of putting words on the page. Um, nothing happens until those words get from your your brain, your soul, onto the page, and everything happens after that point. And so um, there is no one right way. Every single author I've asked these questions to has their own answers. And my hope is if you're listening to this for the first time, you hear these answers and you realize like, I, there's no one way. There's not a secret code. There's no like cheat codes here. You just have to find the way that makes sense for you. So uh, with my preamble done, I will dive into the first question. Um, it's going to be a doozy on this one, which is uh, what, do you view is your role as a storyteller? You know, for a long time, I went with the phrase that I've heard other writers say that um, you're supposed to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comforted. Mm. Um, and that, that was kind of my mantra for a long time. But I, I think now, um, as I've written all of these novels and I've, I've received a lot of letters from people, I really think that my mission, so to speak, is to be honest about the pain that I felt in my life and also the joy that I felt in my life in a way um, that allows other people to recognize it and see themselves in it. And I think when you write about mental health in particular, just being honest is often enough to, you know, without being grandiose here, but to be life-saving. And I know that like novels have saved my life many mm -hmm. times. And I've, and I've, I've realized that um, even just as I've kind of come out and talked about my alcoholism and I've received letters from people, like, I'm not doing that, you know, I'm doing that for selfish reasons, primarily, you know, to, to keep sober and to sort out my feelings. But you realize that, um, you know, there are other people out there that need to know that they're not alone. And I think that that is, is really important. And in the last five years, as I first got sober, I felt extremely alone. And so if I can do anything to make other people feel less alone and feel as though that they have allies out there, at least people that understand, um, that seems pretty worth it for me. <sighs> Such a good answer. Okay. Uh, next question. What is the one word that best describes you? Intense. <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, it's sometimes in a bad way and sometimes in a good way. You know, sure. um, my, my brain goes 
very fast all of the time. And I think that the drinking is great for turning that off at the end of the day. And um, I'm only really learning how to control that now at, at 48 years of age without alcohol. Yeah. And I think the intensity can, can create art. It can create connection with people. It's, it's a great thing. It's a superpower, but it was also probably the reason why I drank for 25 right. years as well. Right. You know, did, did so. you, um, did, did you get like the ADHD, ADD diagnosis? No, I did not. No, you didn't get that? I did not. No. A lot of times, um, that like quick nonstop brain and creative people with, you know, uh, tendencies toward habit. Um, those, those seems seem to be correlated. I, I mean, this is just Brian's experience with, you know, folks in my circle, but, um, well, my intensity tends to be inward. And so in school, I wouldn't be jumping around the room. Mm -hmm. I'd be mm -hmm. jumping around my brain, sitting in the corner, yeah. acting like people would think I was not doing anything, but there was right. a lot going on inside right. of me. So, right. Right. yeah. Okay. Next question. I'm like so excited to ask you each one of these because I can't wait for the answer. But um, okay, next question. <laughs> if you had to pick a spirit book, okay, so this is a book that if you died and you were able to be reincarnated as a book, this is the book you would choose to spend all time as. What book would it be? This is a really hard question, but my gut response with my feeling response without overthinking and overanalyzing is The Little Prince is what I would pick. The Little Prince. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I, I, first time I've gotten the little prince. Um, all right. I, I would love to ask like one more sentence on the little prince. What, sure. what, what about, what, what about the little, I just got to know, like, I'm like, I, I got to have this answer. Like what, what is it about the little prince that, that jumps out at you? I read it in French in French class when I was a teenager and it was just something um, about the main character is so innocent but also so wise and sophisticated at mm -hmm. the same time. Um, and there's a lot about this juxtaposition of things being ephemeral and eternal at the same time. And, and I just think the duality of that, um, I didn't understand that when I was 16 years old, but it's something I've been thinking about ever since. And I, and I think that idea of duality and simplicity is, is something that I've, I've grown to value more and more. And I also just think it's this is a beautiful, beautiful story. Oh, I love that. Um, so this totally separate aside. I have um two, like my uh, I have a daughter who's in fifth grade, another daughter who um is uh, going into first grade, second grade, and um, the little prince oddly enough was one one of the reading lists, which is why I was like top of my mind um, for <laughs> yeah. the, my my I think it's my fifth grader maybe. Um, I don't know. Anyways, um, which is why I was like, I gotta know the little prince. Um, <laughs> I gotta know what I'm getting myself into here. <sighs> okay. Next question. Is there a specific tool? Can be anything at all? Pencil, software, chair, coffee, tea, anything that you absolutely must have to write. Solitude. Solitude. I cannot write. Yeah. If somebody's is watching or I can hear someone else, even if I can hear the neighbors, I can't write. I need to feel that I'm enclosed. No one can see me. They cannot hear me and I cannot hear them. That that's a must for me. I am not a guy that can write in a coffee shop or mm -hmm. 
on an airplane, I need to be alone um, in, in almost kind of like a womb-like mm-hmm. atmosphere is really important for me. Yeah, I get that. I never understand how people can sit in a coffee shop and be like banging out words. I'm like, you you and I are not made the same if you can do that. Like, I do not no. understand that. <laughs> not that it's wrong. I just don't get it. It's like, it just doesn't register. I wish brain. I could. I know. It'd yeah. be so much easier. Yeah, I used to travel a lot for work. And um, I remember I'd always tell myself I'd write on the plane and I'd get on the plane and just the thought that there were people next to me. I was like, nope, no chance. Can't can't even open up the program. Not happening. Like, yeah. And the person next to you always reads if you're writing on the plane, how can they not? Can you imagine the horror? Oh my gosh. Somebody sitting next to you reading as you're, oh, no. Yeah. No, no good. No good. Okay. Next question. Uh, How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Well, I used to drink. (laughs) That's my (laughs) answer for 25 years. And I I don't recommend that. Drinking heavily. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) since, since that, uh, exercise has become a good, a, a big part of my life. Eating healthy has become a big part of my life. Um, Jungian analysis has become mm-hmm. a big part of managing that up and down, but also, you know, remaining cautiously optimistic. Another writer um, told me that phrase a long time ago. You never want to be get pessimistic about mm-hmm. the the business, but you also never want to get too high either because those crashes are awful. So remaining kind of cautiously optimistic. And one of the ways that I do that, and um, I think that that is really good for other writers too, is, and, and this is kind of a young thing as well, is, is to really make sure that you're not, you know, not buying into some kind of fantasy about what writing is. And I think for a lot of people, um, they're not really sure about why they're writing. You know, if you ask people like, why are you sitting down and doing this? Um, You know, sometimes they'll say it was my dream or, you know, Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to see my book in Barnes and Noble. But I think until you really have an answer that will propel you through the ups and downs, you're not, you're not going to, there's going to be a lot of turbulence, but I think people who have, um, a very clear sense of mission of what they're doing. And they really believe in that mission that can really get you through a lot. And for me, I think um, part of that mission has always been, you know, what I said before, like the mental health aspect in trying to um, reach people that haven't been reached and making people feel less alone. Um, But more recently um, I think one of my missions is, uh, you know, doing work uh, to, raise awareness of, you know, men's issues and this idea in our society, we're always talking about toxic masculinity, which is really a problem, mm-hmm. but we need to talk about positive masculinity to mm-hmm. clean that mm-hmm. up. And yeah. so really, you know, so what I tried to do with We Are The Light, one of the missions was I really wanted to show what can happen when men take care of each other in really beautiful ways. And that's something that I really deeply believe in. And so that, that has been enabled me to take some of the hits and say, okay, I'm on mission. I'm going to find my people. They're going to show up and keep believing in that because I care about that deeply. So I think finding something that, that you care about, um, that you don't care if somebody says something snarky online because you still care about this thing and it's not dependent on what other people say, and you're going to do whatever you can to, to get that mission done. That, that is, I think, very important. Mm -hmm. What is your mission as a writer to know it and to believe it? It's a really powerful question. 
It's a really powerful question. What is your mission as a writer? What are you in this game for? Um, yeah. And if it's money, then be honest about it. Right. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that answer. Like that's yeah. Yeah. And if, yeah. but if it's money and you want to write obscure literary fiction, then you're probably going to have a problem. <laughs> you know? So if it's money, you pay. better start doing genre and yeah. you know whatever you got to do to get paid. You know, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But I think having a fantasy or an unclear mission, that's the recipe for a, a lot of hardship. And I also yeah. think too, that there's a lot of writers out there that create this hardship because they're afraid of success and they're afraid of what will come next. So being honest about that and really drilling down of what am I trying to do and embracing that, I think that would give you a much better shot. Mm. I'm going to have to think about that one a lot. Um, okay, last question for you. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be? In addition to um, steering clear of fantasies, I think one of the things that... I've really been thinking a lot about is don't come to the table empty handed. Um, I think mm. one of the things that I've been really surprised um, about is the power of a, just a personal thank you letter. Um, <laughs> or, you know, if, if you're going to ask somebody for something, you know, at least, at least read their books ahead of time. Um, right. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times people approach writers. It, it just, is this form letters or, you know, they just expect people to do things. And I don't think I really understood fully the value of connecting people with people on a human level in the mm -hmm. business until recently. And I've been in the business a long time. Um, but it's, you know, when, when you're riding a high, everybody wants to be in business with you. But when you go through those lows, it's really the people that you've, you've had phone conversations with or the other writers that you've read their books and you've supported them in the bookstores where you've gone and you've done talks to three people and, you know, you laugh about it with the bookseller and you keep in touch and you write a thank you note anyway, you know, so realizing that being a writer isn't just for you, you know, like it's participating in something that's much larger than you. And, uh, you know, writing a book is, is not just for you. It's so that the editor in New York City can have a job and the publicist can have a job and the booksellers can, can, can sell books and the, the indies can stay open. And so realizing that, like, you're part of this ecosystem and you want to come to that with something in hand, even if it's, you know, you're just a new writer starting out, support the writers that you want to help you support the bookshops that, that you want to sell your books, but do something to, to participate. And I think that that will make things go much better for you than if you just expect things to happen for you without participating in a positive way. Mm, I like that. Come, come to the table is something. I like that a lot. Um, Matthew, where, where can people find you online? Where do you hang out? Uh, where are your main haunts? Well, my website is matthewquickwriter.com, and um, I'm currently not on any social media. Um, <laughs> when I got sober, I got off all social <laughs> I could not do social media sober. Um, but I do put out a monthly personal letter. It's not a newsletter. I write about um, something that's, I usually write a letter to my, my readers, 
once a month on the 21st of each month. Um, and it's usually about something that I care deeply about and I'm mm -hmm. very intimate with it. And if you'd like to sign up, it's free. Just go to my website in the top right corner. It'll say um, monthly personal letter. Just click on it, put in your um, email address and you'll get one every month. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll, um, we'll link to that newsletter as well in the show notes for everybody out there. So uh, we have a light coming out November 1st, 2022. Uh, how do I wrap up? How do I wrap up this interview? Um, I'm pretty overwhelmed right now. Like on a scale of one to 10 of Brian on podcast interviews, I'm, I'm flirting with like a 10 only because uh, I hear so much of the things that have been a real like season for me, you know, have, have been on this, this podcast, but then connecting with somebody who um, the sincerity and openness and vulnerability and just like authenticity that you've brought. It's like a one-two punch. That's like, it's just, it's, it's, uh, I'm so excited to bring this into the world. And so I'm so grateful for you, Matthew. I'm grateful for you sharing so much and being just so open, uh, with this journey. And, um, you know, this is one of those I'm going to be thinking about for a while. So thank you so much for, coming on the show, let me talk to you. I mean, this has been a real pleasure for me. Well, thank you for having me. I felt very connected as well. And it was an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs>